0: If you were a tarpon angler or a guide in the late 70s pursuing a world record and weren't in Homosassa, Florida, you were in the wrong ballpark. When the word and photographs of monster fish got out, the players couldn't get there fast enough and the records began to fall. One of the names that made headlines was a local angler, Dan Malzone. Today he sat down with us and reminisced when the biggest tarp in the world were still there. We hope you enjoy.
1: We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the
0: whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way, so I double-lunged him both ways.
2: But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet.
0: And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out. Thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride.
2: (laughs) There's something fishy going on here.
0: Well, Dan, I think it's been around 33 years since I saw you last. Something
2: like that. You were driving an old white Mercedes Benz the last time I saw you. (laughs)
0: Probably a really old one with uh, with, with no hubcaps. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> big den in the side. Yeah,
0: it's such a it's such a pleasure to see your face, and we I've I've seen a bunch of people since we started doing these podcasts that I haven't seen in ages. And ages, as I mentioned, when I walked through your front door, without this podcast, we I might never see you again. Right, you know. So, <laughs> aside from you know catching up with everybody to get your story and everyone else's. To be saved for the rest of time, to me, that does my heart such, such yeah. great good because your story with homo Sasa uh, and those great years of all the world record chasing, to me, I think that's probably, me personally, that's the best, the best story of the evolution of tarpon fishing. The characters that were there, the records that were being caught, the atmosphere,
2: the fishery was great. Seemed like every month there was a different fish caught on the world record line by somebody you know, by somebody somebody
0: there in <clears> home <of Sassa. clears throat> like who was it
2: stew apps caught two in one day
0: right you know no, it was a happening place yeah. but before we go there let's back back up just a little bit you're just outside of downtown tampa and your home here is just spectacular you know you have these big trees with a with the Spanish moss hanging from them, how long have you been here, and how would you find this house?
2: Since 1974, 75. I was driving to work when I owned a sporting goods stores. the lady was putting out a sign, and I stopped and asked her how much she wanted for it. And she told me. I said, "Wait right here." I went and got a check at the store and came back and gave her a deposit and did the contract right there and.
0: Done deal. Off and running. You liked what you saw you're still yeah. here.
2: I mean, it's for on the water, yeah. You
0: yeah. can't find anything on the water for less than a for- small fortune. Right.
2: That's what it is, is a small fortune. Good for you. W- were you born on the west coast of Florida here? Yeah. I grew up on the fingers out here on the bay. And, and- from
1: a early age, did you was it your dream to become a fishing guide or was it just Something no, you fell into.
2: I just saw it. Fishing home, sasa, the guides and everything like that. And I said, you know, that's pretty neat. So I sold the sporting goods stores. Went out and got my captain's license. Started guiding for tarpon. And then it just picked up. Then I got hooked up with Orvis. And before you knew it, I was doing 150, 160 days a year.
1: And what year was that?
2: Your first year of guiding? 74.
0: When you got the house.
2: When I got the house. Was your family in the sporting goods business? Yeah. manufacturing, uniforms, and we did all... At one time, we did all the SEC teams. Oh, wow. Until the big people came in. You right. know, Nike started giving away uniforms and stuff like that.
0: So the sporting goods stores here in Tampa that your family owned, they were not fishing-related, just sporting no. in general.
2: Right, football- Baseball.
0: And you worked the the store? Mm-hmm. What'd you do there? In the store?
2: Sold tried to sell everything we the, had, tried were, to make a living. You were on the floor? Yeah, yeah, but we had everything. I went out and worked the road at night doing all the little leagues, you know, football, basketball, soccer, The uniforms for all these uniforms young plus men. the balls. Right. And then uh, back then Fizz Ed was in in the schools. And we were the only sporting goods store on the peninsula here. Perfect. And we'd sell a couple thousand pairs of Converse. Truck every week would come in. Nice. You know? Because you had to wear black black shoes, (laughs) black shorts, and a white T-shirt. So we sold all that until they said, well, you don't need phys ed anymore. So...
0: Then it was a a big difference.
2: Right. So...
0: When did, did was did your family get you involved with fishing? Your father how my as a brother, child? Your brother did.
2: My dad was born in 1894. So when I was born, he was 54. Right. So he really didn't fish outside of sitting out on the dock and throwing a line. But my brother did.
0: Mm-hmm. One of my brothers. And how much older... Was He's the brother that got you into fishing?
1: Ten years older. Ten years, okay. To what extent of fishing? Was he tarpon fishing back then? No, or-
2: no. He'd trout. He'd put on his waders and snook fish and... Anything? Anything. Had no clue about tarpon fishing.
0: And what do you like when you first started fishing? Just the tug at the end of just, the string. Just
2: the tug at the end of the string. Right. Back then, nobody was fishing. Yeah, there was no people around.
0: Yeah. What was What was Tampa like back then? Yeah, it was
2: wonderful, absolutely wonderful. We'd have schools of mullet, fifty yards wide, hundred yards long, come down, even down this canal here. Go out and throw the cast net. No. Start the smoker.
0: You guys would eat smoked uh, mullet? Yeah,
2: smoked mullet. The old guy next door and I.
0: Was it good? I know, oh, yeah. That's I remember a lot of people when I was growing up in Aspen, no, no one would eat whitefish, but we started smoking them, and they were great. Great. P- pike, too. Right. Seems like almost anything is good if you smoke it.
2: Right. Right. Back before we were invaded with all the Yankees moving down here, you could find mullet on any menu in florida that was a cracker food wow now you can't you find cod pollock
0: do you ever think about going to net some and eating mullet again after all these years
2: yeah i mean i could have got a school this morning out there you know i do yeah oh, so when cool.
1: you first went to Homosassa, who were the big players back then in the early 70s
2: Well, I didn't see anybody until 78.
0: So you first fished in there in the 60s, possibly?
2: No, 74 was my first year. What has happened is I was coming back from Tallahassee, FSU, Florida game. And I was driving down US-19, and I saw Wikiwachi. So I drove down the road. Just curious. Curious. Never been down the road, you know. So I drove out, you know, and it's all hardwoods. And then it turns into sawgrass. <laughs> then it turns into water. And I looked out and I saw this, like a mirage. It said Pine Island, three miles. And that's when the Bayport Inn was just one building. Right. No additions on it. or. And I went out there and started I hung up. Man, this is unbelievable this is really nice so i wrote down a couple realtors numbers and called them when i got back to work on monday i go you got any lots for sale out there on the water he says yeah i just listed one i go where's it at he says down towards the park at the end it's one lot off the water but you can see the water from your front yard I said, well, can I drive up tomorrow and meet you?" Me? I went up there, and I thought he was going to tell me forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And he said, yeah, this one's for sale for six. And I go, I'll take
1: it. $6,000 for a lot.
2: A lot. Six, and that's before you
1: started tarpon
2: fishing? Yeah, I didn't know anything it, about that area up there. Had no
0: idea what was, nah was in your clue. front yard.
2: So I got back home. And Gary Marconi called me. He was building houses over in Clearwater. He said, I got your rod ready for you. I said, okay, I'll come out after work. So I drove over to Gary's and we're talking. And I said, I just bought a lot at Pine Island. He says, well, it's nice down there at Boquilla and all that Boca Grande area. I go, no, this is north by Wiki watching." he got white as a sheet. He says, you're not going to believe this. That's the best tarpon fishing in the world for a fly rod. And he showed, breaks out this photo album of him and Norman Duncan. And this fish was a foot over one side and a foot over the other side on a huge. Now a huge is what, 72 inches wide? It's a pretty narrow boat. Wow. This foot fish had to have been eight foot long. I said, Well, how much does it weigh? Well, we thought maybe 200 plus, but now we think we're thinking more 190. Either way. Either way. (laughs) I said, yeah, I'm building a house up there. A friend of mine's building me a house right now. He says, when's this going to be ready? I said, in two weeks. He says, well, that's right. Tarpon season, that's in May. I go, yeah. He says, well, let's go up there and I'll show you around, so. He met me up there, no furniture in the house, just carpeting and air conditioning. And we went up there and slept on on the carpet. (laughs) And uh, it was something I'll never forget. Were you fly fishing at this time? Fly fishing. You had
0: already started fly fishing before, though.
2: But I was using Gary's rods. You know, my stuff that I was fly fishing for tarpon with here were ten weights underneath the bridge. And in the smaller spring. fish. Smaller fish.
0: What was your first morning like?
2: First morning? When you went fishing up there, what would you see? Thousand fish. Tell me about it. Out going tight at Guido's Rock. <laughs> and I just looked up. Gary said, here they come. And you look up and here's a string of tarpon, honest to God, 200 yards long, Just wagging their tails on top, coming out. No boats. No boats. We never saw another boat until 78, only because we went up closer to Chazawiska River, and all the Keys guys were there, Huff and everything, and he was fishing Evans, and you had Dale Perez, and I think he was fishing Robinson. But all the bigwigs were there. There were so many fish there that they didn't need to come down.
0: To find fish.
2: But over the years, everybody just kind of ming- mingled through each other. You know, Hal Chittum, Stu App, Billy Pate. Fluger, Fluger was there. Yeah. I can't remember who Al Fluger was fishing with. It wasn't a guy. He was fun fishing with somebody. It might have been... Um, he had a brown... Fluger had a brown hues. And... It might have been four dice pulling him around. Oh, not the son, the the father, because they were good friends. Mm. But uh, so
0: you had four years with no one around you.
2: Just the local Neil Neil Sivarskin, right? You know, and and pizza. he's still
0: fishing out there,
2: Neil. Yeah, no, he doesn't go up there anymore. He does fishes the beach for tarpon. He fishes by himself. He likes the fish. Good for him. At the trolling motor with the satellite with the remote right keeps them in one spot and pete loved bow hunting more than anything and he went to idaho outside of boise to bow hunt and now he's got huge room 30 feet high ceilings with all sorts of mounts mounts elks and when did uh, the whole
0: quest for record fish start to take place in Homosassa? Because right. over the years, there's been record tarpon caught elsewhere. Right. And just the last few years on lighter tippets, there's been a few fish caught down in the Lower Keys area, you know, um, at the Everglades, you know, the 140 on six, but... For the most part, the real big fish were all caught up here. Right. Do you remember when you started thinking, or somebody put the thought in your head, let's go catch a a record? Yeah. Who was that?
2: That got me going on that? Yeah. Jack Connor and I were fishing together, a friend of mine here in town. And uh, he was making rods. Gary When Gary told me it was the rods you got now, not going to (laughs) work. He says, you need a bigger rod and bigger reels. I said, well, what do you suggest? He said, well, let me call John Emery down. And uh, he was working for Lee Cuddy at the time down there in Miami. So he ordered me three equalizers, which were almost like the push pole. Right.
0: Or and they wouldn't and, break.
2: Right. And three Emery reels. And I got five, 600 yards of backing on each one. And I was off and running. But as talking to these guys, you know, you'd see somebody and you'd go over there and start talking to them. Uh, It's just putting in your time. So I figured my first one was 8-pound. I go out, I looked in the book and I saw Stu Apps, you know, 81 or 82 pounds.
0: Did you know Stu at the time?
2: No, I did after I caught him. You just
0: saw this name.
2: Right, I saw his name in the book and I said, well, 8-pound can't be that hard. You just don't pull as hard, you know, so... It took a while. It took me a couple of years finally. Him and matter of fact, I think I gaffed him right next the stew, and he was fishing with uh, Ralph Delf.
0: The two of them were fishing together, right? Right. They got a big story where they lost that big two thirty on right. twelve at, at, right. one, at one point.
2: And then he went on to break everything. twelve
0: everything, all kinds of stuff
2: twice in one day. I mean, right. that's when it broke loose. I think. Dale Perez with Robinson broke a record. I don't think I don't think Harry Spears ever did. No. But Pate was there and Evans, Evans. was there. And they were all breaking rock, records right and left. And, you know, that was close to uh when um uh, Steve Huff caught that
0: 186. 186
2: off the front of the boat. Well, Tom was doing Tom, some business. Tom was in the outhouse, you know, <laughs> He's hanging off the back, you know. But I asked Tom when he caught that real big fish, 192 or whatever, why did it take so long to catch that big fish? I mean, the 200-pounder, the 192, when yeah. there were thousands of fish around <laughs> 10 years, 20 years earlier, and he couldn't answer it. Yeah, you know, um, why all of a sudden were the big fish, did the little fish leave, and left only the big fish? No because
0: that's of, all you were seeing were, were real big fish during that that window of time. Yeah, you didn't see any smaller fish. No,
2: no, smaller fish always came in in June, end of June.
0: I mean, the big ones were first of May, right? Right, first two weeks of May, first something like that. First two weeks in May. And
1: what do you consider a small fish? Hundred pounds and less.
2: No, one twenty, one thirty. Wow, that was the average up there then. Right. I had a fish with Neil Sidvarsk, and we were drinking beer, just pulling along. And Neil said, "Look at the size of this shark coming!" And I looked out, and sun was in my eyes, and I'm... so I started throwing at it, thinking it was a shark. It had to be nine foot long. <laughs> And he got in front of the boat out of this glare and I looked and it was a poon. And I know it was way over two hundred and fifty pounds. And I'm stripping and he came up, came up, came up, came up, like he was gonna slurf it, and then all of a sudden he went back down. It was it was huge. Absolutely the biggest thing I've ever seen up there.
0: Did you lose any sleep over that fish? Of course. <laughs> you always did <do. laughs> How can you not, right? I
2: saw the fish that Evans caught, the one ninety something the day before it came the- by.
0: The 194? Yeah. You was saw with, that fish was the day with before? A little,
2: yeah, was within 50 to 100 yards of where he caught it the next day. Crazy. It's like they hung out in that little Guido's Rock area.
0: How would you get that na- that rock named after you?
2: Uh, didn't listen to everybody <laughs> when they said, watch where you run up there. There's some big rocks. That was my first year up
0: there. And you took ownership of one of them. Took and the what lower- happened?
2: Took the lower casing off. I had to pull all the way in. It was Mother's Day. And I had run out of flies in my fly box. So I had to pull all the way in. So they named it all the Neil and Al and all those guys named it Guido's, Guido's Rock. Guido's Rock. How'd you get the name Guido? Just a guy that worked for me in the sporting goods store. I'd been tarpon fishing. I used to do a lot of bottom. Fishing for tarpon with the wife and everything, and had a big Panama hat on and a Tom Selleck flowered shirt, and I walked into the store, and my, my employee goes, "Man, you look like a Guido," <laughs> and it just stuck. Just stuck. That's a good name. Yeah. What
1: were your, you know, your leader and your uh, tippets looking like, and your flies? Were you what, what was your bite tippet back then in the in the late? Seventy. 100, 100 pound
2: 100 pound tied Huff nagel. into a bimini twist and then two your to 40. Yeah right. 40 or 50.
0: Did you ever have a fish chew through that hundred:
2: Very seldom. If it did, it was caught in his right corner and he it looked it,
0: like. It's funny. We fish now with 40, 40 and 50 pounds bite tippets. But I think a lot of our flies that we use, like the worm fly and the way they eat it. Right. A lot of those they hooks. Slurp get stuck it in the right, front right in the, right off the bone there. So yeah. there's no chafing.
2: Right. That's the old stamp on the front of the boat. When they hook it right there, nobody ever knows what to do. Everybody says that's the worst hookup in the world. But
1: Yeah, Fluger said he loved that.
2: Right. That's out of the Met, he said, where you didn't get to use a shock tippet, you just tied it straight to whatever it was. So you right. wanted them to right, right there. Get it that
0: was there. twelve pound light. Right. They called it. No yeah. no bite tippet. No back bite then. tippet at all.
1: And what yeah. were the hooks? Five oh?
2: Four 3407, Super strong. Mustad. Mustad. Yeah. Now I'm using a two watt gamakatsu. That's
0: crazy, right?
2: And you don't think it's gonna hold up. Met, they hold. And it holds. Yeah. Evans big fish. 192 was caught on a two-odd or one-odd, something like that. Right. Were you sharpening your hooks back then?
0: Yeah. Oh, you had to. I yeah, bought a grinder,
2: sure. little wheel. I forgot who made it. the called the hookster or something. Hookster. And you, yeah, needle sharp.
0: And we used to bend the barb down a little bit. Yeah. My very first gold cup, I was fishing with Harry Spear and we saw this fish laying there and we had i think it was a three o, thirty-four o seven 3407 ss super strong mustad and barb bend down and we, i hooked this fish and you know i was so nervous i'd caught a lot of fish before then but this is my first tournament, it's the gold cup i got hairy i was so nervous and i thought i was pulling pretty hard but about an hour and 15 minutes in, minutes into the fight i said hurry I could really use some water. My tongue was stuck to the roof of my mouth. I was so dehydrated. Harry said, catch me this damn fish, and then I'll give you some Gatorade or something, but you got to catch this fish first type of thing, you know? And I'm pulling and pulling, and finally the hook breaks. I was never more relieved in my life that I didn't make the mistake, but somehow we broke that hook. But that's what we, you know, with my early years, oh, 40 yeah. years ago in the Keys, that's what with Steve and some of those guys were still using. But yeah. these new hooks are unbelievable. Yeah. What, uh, who were some of the, uh, tell me a little bit about Billy Pate. You know, I mean, obviously he put tarpon fishing on the map as well as anybody, maybe along with Stu Apt, but he was up here fishing a lot, chasing records. Oh
2: yeah, he was up for a month, two months. Right. Like Evans. But he was filming that 3M. Giant tarpon. Giant tarpon thing. So he had a helicopter spot and then this and that. And I think. He brought a lot of guides in when that tape came out.
0: Right. I think the, the real culprit, though, was Lefty Cray. I mean, he wrote about it yeah. after he fished here first. Wasn't he guilty of, like, exposing
2: it? No, I don't think so. You know, you had Harold of Masters.
0: Well, they found it, but they didn't expose right. no. it in the papers like, like Lefty yeah. did.
2: I don't know whether Lefty did or not. I never heard that.
0: What about the fight that um, Archibald had with Chitam? What, Did the, you ever hear anything about that? That fight that they no, had? No,
2: I saw Gary Marconi with me in a boat and Archibald go at it with look like Roman spears. With the gaffs? With no, with the push poles.
0: And that was Archibald and
2: who? And Gary Marconi. Really? Yeah. What was behind that story? Said we stole his fish. How do you steal a fish? When they're all over. I don't know. That was just Archibald.
0: What kind of a character was he?
2: character. Come across the flats doing ninety mile an hour in a shy poke, throwing a big rooster tail. When he wanted to leave he just
0: From wherever he was.
2: Wherever he was, didn't he? Yeah,
0: he's he built the Shy Poke, right? Yeah. He designed it and built yeah. it.
2: Yeah. A lot of people had him.
0: Was he a scary guy? Yeah. So he was all bark and, and yeah. no bite. Cause the story of I that I heard was that uh Chittum was up here somewhere at a bar or something, came into a bar and he gets tackled by Archibald, and Archibald accused him of you know exposing home sassa and he actually thought it was Lefty, so they <laughs> they had this big tussle, and they get up and he said, God damn you Lefty Cray, and and Hal said, I'm not Lefty, <laughs> you know he gets tackled by this guy across the room, <laughs> yeah, and uh, at the end of it they were having cocktails together. Yeah. But it was kind of like the Wild West and home assassin there for a while. It
2: was. It was. Tell
0: me about Bobby Era, the mobster. Hmm. What do you know
2: about him? (laughs) You don't want to say. Only threatened to kill me two or three times. He did? Oh, yeah. Why would he want to kill you? He was being sent to prison. And uh, he wanted to fish before he went. So I said, I'm waiting to hear back from one of my customers. He doesn't think he can come, but I'll let you know. Well, customer called, said he was coming, and Bobby called me. And I told him, I said, no, I can't fish you, my customer's coming. He exploded on the phone. You can hold the phone away from you and hear everything. Then he was so mad he'd hang up. And he'd call back 10 minutes later still, still on fire. So then he got sent off. But, you know, I got along. I mean, he was just one of those guys. I had a guy fishing with me, brand new customer, first time. And uh, pulled by Bobby and John Kepp. And he looked at me, he says, I recognize that voice over there. Who is that in the boat? I said, it's Bobby Aaron. He jumped off the platform in the front and lay down in the boat. He says, keep me away from that guy. I know him from the keys. <laughs> I kept on folding.
0: Did you ever get the story out of him?
2: As no, the... he would never tell me what the story was.
0: But obviously it was not good. Well, unlike Arch- Archibald, he had not only a big bark, but he had a big bite. Right. In the book, American Desperado, which is a book about uh, John Roberts' uh, relationship with the mob in New York, uh, it was a big heroin uh, relationship right. with the mob. He brought in cocaine, killed an undercover cop, and the mob wanted to kill him, John Roberts, and he escaped and got down to Miami, he got connected with um, Nicaragua, the cocaine, and the Escobar. story Escobar. Escobar. Escobar, and the story goes... Bobby Era's name is in there, and about being suspect of making hits on these guys. Yeah. So I had heard his name in the keys, and always heard about the mob stuff. And then when I read this book, which is absolutely riveting, all of a sudden I see this name Bobby Era, and it gives me understanding as to why so many people were so afraid of him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They were. What
0: about and I see this now a little bit about you know all this. this issue was with with the keys in the early years when new guides were coming down and their tires were being slashed, and uh, boats were being doused with um, um, resin and stuff like that.
2: I don't know anything. Do you remember about...
0: anything up here in this area where guys were taking revenge on other people's boats and? Wookiee-watching. We'll yeah, what, what were the, well, some we of those stories? Was, like?
2: We think it was Bobby Ear doing it.
0: <laughs> and what was happening up here?
2: He'd just cut him off.
0: Out on the ocean, he'd get cut cut off by somebody. take
2: take some fish that he was going to work or something. He would, he'd he'd light up in a minute. Him and, I can remember him throwing water bottles at Earl Waters for cutting them off. (laughs) You know, just, you just never knew when he was going to go, go Sputnik on you. But but
0: having fished up here, it's kind of like a big open area from yeah. from the black black rock. Oh, it's uh,
2: it's not like the Keys all where you got way. a point here and a bank here. Right. So everybody is kind of you deandering. go from wiki-wachi to Homosassa, pick a point. You know? Right.
0: But but would you guys actually know of a track that would be a consistent path every day where these fish would swim?
2: Al and I thought we did. You could go to Guido's Rock on an outgoing tide, and there's a place in there I call the kidney rocks. Looks like two kidneys with a gap in the middle, and they pour through that gap.
0: On that same tide?
2: On that same tide. Interesting.
0: What does your uh, GPS look like? Is it marked up quite a bit as the spots? I got
2: the spots and I got the rocks. (laughs) I learned real quick, you better find out where these rocks are. (laughs) <laughs> so everything, we used to come out of the wikiwachi, I'd turn it five and six. And there was another sign there that said Smith Rock, which is about 200 yards in. You'd run to that. From there, you'd run a little off of due north. And you'd come to another sp- Hole, which was called mutton jaff two little sticks then you'd go due north from that and you'd come to a middle rack which was eight or nine wooden things and then you'd run north of that and you'd hit the north rack which was another big wooden stake and what they were I think were Bird racks, where they collected the bird crap to make ammo during World War One and Two. Oh wow! So if you came out of the river and you hit the, you just stayed north. If you went inside of that, it was like landmines with rocks. You know, every even year on
1: a high tide,
2: huh? Even on a high tide. No, you can run it on a high tide, yeah. but anything medium to low tide, you better watch out.
0: When the records started to fall, I can only imagine the air around this place. How exciting it was every day when all of a sudden the twelve-pound records were going, and they kept exchanging quite quite quickly. Right. What was that
2: like? It's exciting. You know, we all met at the Bayport Inn, except Al. He doesn't drink, so he'd go home. <laughs> He'd go home. He's kind of a loner, isn't he? Yeah, he doesn't go out to eat. You know, he doesn't leave the house really. If you wanted to see him, you have to go over to the house. Right. Yeah. You know? But
0: everybody else was in. But the house.
2: Evans drank. You know, so <clears throat> he'd drink at the house his wine and rum. Right. And then when he'd leave, Poontang had come in. Brian Tang. Right. And he doesn't drink. He doesn't go out, so I would be cooking at home for them, so. right, but no, at the Bayport Inn, everybody met there after the day.
0: I think I was there a little bit, yeah, you know, I was a fly on the wall with big open eyes <laughs> seeing all you guys walk in.
2: no, it was fun. We used to have a big barbecue every year there and everything.
1: Did you read the book Lords of the Fly? mm-hmm was that pretty accurate
2: no. It wasn't. No. There were some people in that book with Homo Sasa that I wouldn't have put in there because I don't think they're the old main players. Main players. You know, they were just, you know, tag-alongs. And, uh, you all did the guy up in Pensacola, right? Or. Oh,
0: David. David. Magnum. Magnum.
2: Why he put him in there didn't have anything to do with Homo Sassa.
0: Well, I think I think Lords of the Fly was really basically an evolution of the sport. You know, from Key West, the early years in the book written, uh, Mile Marker Zero. Right. Uh, the first guys who really started fishing for these fish with fly rods and, and really catching some big fish in the movie Tarpon. Right. So I think Lords of the Fly was basically trying to introduce this game that's being played by all these great people and all these great fish. Because I think tarpon is one of the more celebrated fish in the world, the way it swims mm. and jumps out of the water and they're big and vast. So, you know, the story of the tarpon has a big, long history. And I think the Homo story was a culmination of all these exciting people trying to chase this most exciting fish <laughs> and trying to catch all these records. So the book was not about home Homosassa, it was about one guy's identity in this big story of the tarpon. So I think that you can look at it because you were a big player in the home Homosassa story. But I think the book as a whole had so much more to it.
2: So you're saying it just takes bigger area? Well, I think the story
0: was the story of the tarpon and the guys who chased him. Yeah. Culminating with the biggest story of all in the evolution of tarpon, which was Homosassa. That was like the World Series every May. It was. And when it got right and you guys all knew and figured out how to catch them and you found out where they lived, that's where you had to be. And I think I mean it gives me chills just saying this because— I have lived a little bit of this evolution and I was in home assassin in the early years. And then I ran to the keys cause I was not chasing records, but it was a, a real eye opener to be up there and to see everybody. But the fishing was not very good. And I knew that I could not evolve as an angler by staying up no. there. So I left the keys and did the tournaments. Once I fished with Harry Spear for seven years and he kind of groomed me to be a great angler. And then he got me into the tournaments. But I could not have been or become what I became as fast as I did by staying in home assassin. So I had no reason to be up there. But I've seen and read and watched uh, as a history buff about these fish, where they came from in the early years and who were those guys to where we are today. And on behalf of the book and Monty who wrote it, Evans was a character. So whenever you read a book, whether it be a murder mystery or whatever, there's one character that kind of stands out and sets the pace for the book. And I think Evans, with who he is and his story and his record chasing, was really a great uh, um, character for that book because he's been there from the early years. He has. In the lower keys, and he's still there at eight, at the age of 82. And he's Still coming. Still, that's the thing that he loves, and he's going to go there until he cannot get out of a chair. Right, right. You know, he's not very effective, but,
2: but he's he's the book. Told that story. Right, right. You don't see that anymore, except for Evans up there. Right. I hadn't I hadn't missed a year up there since seventy four, but I don't spend the time anymore up there like he does i don't right. spend the whole month i spend two weeks three weeks and i leave in june
0: right what uh what are you seeing up there every year now i know people if it's good they don't want to say it's good because they don't want any more right. boats when i left there i think in the late 80s the last day in the water i counted 63 boats right. i haven't had i didn't have a shot i didn't have a cast for like i think three or four days
2: that still happens
0: it's like, I got to leave. Still but That is a testament to you, you guys and your patience and knowing what's going to come down the line at any given point. Right. But right. there's still some good days, you're saying.
2: Yeah, and that's May.
1: That's May, and then you were saying that they leave in June.
2: They go north there in June. They go across the um, Chazawiska River, and they get out the point. Right. They get up in that swamp area and then come out. But it's still good fishing.
1: Do you fish any anglers that are pursuing records? No. How Pushing. many How many anglers up there that are still pursuing records, if any? Evans. Uh, Evans.
2: Evans and uh, Brian Tang. Two uh, guys. Are they
0: fishing the eight?
2: Yeah. You right. know,
0: everything else is unreachable.
2: You can't do it.
0: Two is 48. Your odds. Four is 123. Six is 143 um eight is the only one available which is at 127 and a half right and then it goes to 191 194 and 202
2: right but nobody considers the 202 a (laughs) world record no 20 shouldn't even be in there
0: right but anyway if you wanted to go after 20 how many 203 pound fish are you
2: going to see very few yeah
0: so the eight the eight's the weakest link Right. And, it's, and, and realistically, it's the only link to a world record now.
2: Right, right.
0: Um, how, how do you describe your emotional roller coaster, if you will, with Tampa where you live and the fishing that you saw and you're still on the water fishing? Is there any sort of like, boy, this is hard. This is not what it used to be. Or do you still enjoy going out catching I the fish? I still
2: enjoy going out. That's but cool. fishing's getting harder. It's not like it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Right. Where there was redfish 1,500 in a school in three or four places down by the skyway.
0: When you first started guiding. Right. For other fish than tarpon. Right.
2: The only thing that there's a lot of is speckled trout. But I, don't, I hadn't been since the red tide, so I don't know... What that damage has done. So it may take years to get back, but virtually no ladyfish. You know, you see snook in certain spots, but redfish, those big schools are gone. And I went to one of the DNR meetings and I asked the head biologist and this woman was in charge. And I go, can you explain to me why there's less redfish now than before the net ban? She kind of gave me a funny look, and she goes, why do you ask? I said, because I'm a guide. And before the net ban, it was no problem finding schools of 1,500 to 2,000 to 5,000 fish floating around at Fort DeSoto. Where'd they go? She goes, we have no idea. We're asking ourselves that. So I don't know. I wouldn't want to be a guide now coming up at 22, 23, 24 years old. Because there are more than enough guides. I'm sure that's in the keys, too. Mm -hmm, For sure. You know, if you get invited to the Met or the Gold Cup, what guy, who are you going to get? All the good guides are taken. Taken.
0: And it's hard to do well. Right. Unless you have a great guide.
2: Right. That's the whole key to it. Yeah.
0: You still got to be a great angler, but it's hard, really almost impossible to win without a real top A game player. You know
2: right, and that's how I see it is here you know I'm at the twilight of my career at seventy three out of all of it though I enjoy tarpon fishing so oh, uh,
0: so it's okay because you you don't fish the whole year no more' not anymore
2: no only it's too frustrating old customers calling me and saying they're in town for a week you take me fishing right but other than that, I don't even have a website anymore. Right. I took it down.
0: So tell me about the day you caught this 167 on 12.
2: We were off of Pine Island. I'm fishing with Doc McGarry, a dentist. And he fishes Boca Grande. He w- invented that little, they call them coon pop. Oh, right. Jig heads. He and another dentist drilled out and everything. and um, Those two guys invented that.
0: And that's how they caught all those fish in the past.
2: Right. So he and I always fished together. And he was late 60s then. Skinny. What year was this? 87, 86, something like that. And it was in the afternoon. And the fish were coming out by the rocks. Guido's Rock? Coming right on (laughs) course. And I go, Doc, here they are right here. And there were only six fish. Five of them are whoppers. So I threw to the middle of the pack. And I started stripping. And this little one comes out from the back and grabs onto it. And the little one turned out to be 167 pounds. Crazy. Oh, my gosh. Ran straight out. About 250 yards and jumped once. Margie started the boat, put the motor down. I so just, there were
0: three of you on the boat.
2: Yeah, just rolling, reeling in line. Reeling, reeling your emery. He never moved. He jumped. And, and when I pulled him over, his face just came to the boat. Doc gap. he said... He I know he's way over 150 because I can't get him in the boat. So I helped him bring it in, in the boat. We taped him and he came out like 180. And then I said, Well, it's 180. We went to the to the ramp, put him on the scales 167. But uh was he was this? the littlest one in the school. Wow. What was the record that you broke? Stu App, 163. Right. You know.
0: And you were the guide with Balsh catching the 179 on 12 pound test, right? That was a big fish for that a long time. That was a time. big
2: fish. We've had. He called me two years ago and said he was retiring. He wouldn't get a fish anymore. He said he was losing his balance and legs weren't working right and everything. So he said I looked it up on my book. Guess he kept the log. On everything, he said we caught 483 tarpon in the 20, <laughs> 23 years we fished together. Wow! But when he caught the, you know, I told him, I said, Clyde, you don't want to stop fishing 12. You need to fish 12. Oh no, that record's gonna stick. Look at yours.
0: So what record was the 12 at before he hooked that or caught my 167? That was your record. Right. So he, he broke my he record. Broke. And you're and you're pulling him.
2: Right. And everybody goes, well, you could have lost that fish for. I go, yeah, right. I know I <laughs> well, could. The gaff hits but the tip, but, oh, be, sorry. That wouldn't be fair. So uh, I said, don't quit fishing 12. Keep tying up 12 because somebody's going to break that. And then sure enough, Evans did. And what
0: was that record? Oh, after, after Clyde. After Clyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's 194, probably right. one of the best records in the book.
2: He should have never quit it. You know, he could have bumped it up one more, you know, go to 180.
0: I would think 179 on 12 would last. Yeah. But records are there to be yeah, broken, that's, obviously.
2: That's everybody asked me. Well, how do you feel him breaking your record? I said, that's why there's records.
0: Well, good for you.
2: You know, so. No.
0: Who was the best fisherman you ever fished with?
2: As fishermen.
0: Was there anybody? Carpon fishing? Yeah.
2: Probably Clyde. Clyde was good. Yeah. I I fished Evans.
0: I remember when I first fished here, all you had to do to catch or to get a bite was to show the fish the fly.
2: That's all you had to do.
0: Was there a point where all of a sudden it changed and you had to start feeding the fish? Do you remember when that was?
2: Probably 10, 15 years ago. That's all. Yeah. It's like on the beach. Beach fishing for tarpon. We've got a lot of tarpon on the beach here. If you can maneuver around the sailboarders, the kayakers, the jet skiers. Wow. But when the fish come down the beach, you know, you'll see 40 in a line coming down the beach. You know, right off
0: the beach. White sand.
2: White, pure white sand. But you throw the fly out and the tarpon 10 feet from it and they go around it already you know oh yeah
0: they're sensitive
2: you know they know
0: they're persnickety you
2: know the singles i always have the best on singles coming down to beach throw it out right not much to that but when you have a line it's always like if they're going north they're leaving if they're coming south they're going in the Egmont Pass for the crab when the crabs come out on the outgoing tide. So
0: it's funny in that. Well, our- you
1: don't want to fish the Keys. I'll tell you that.
0: We use fif- <laughs> fifteen foot leaders forty pound shock, little number, you know, ones or one o's, really small little flies, short shank, you know, worm flies that are maybe an inch and a half long. Yeah. all clear fly lines.
2: That's why I've been using those. Yeah, they work well. Out of Denver. But, you know, we have no crab run at Homeless anymore. When I was first up there, there were thousands of crabs on top of the water. People would be on the bank with chicken necks and everything. It was noted from wikiwachi all the way to Chazawiska about the blue crabs. That's
0: why the fish were there.
2: That's why they were there, because you'd catch one lift them up to take a picture, and he'd shit crabs. You don't see that. Were, anymore. The
0: ex- were there a lot of explosions throughout the day of Boof. fish eating crabs? Boof.
2: Looked like depth charges Boof. going on. everywhere. Boof.
0: Boof. I asked Billy Knowles one time, I said, Billy, how, how'd you find the fish in Homosassa? He said, son, all you do is just start running and look
2: for the bus. That's right. You'd look to the west early in the morning, and you know how the dolphin run in Baja? Sure. Or Panama, you see them when you're marlin fishing. You'd look up and you'd see splashes.
0: They're coming in.
2: Two or 3,000 tarpon coming in. And as soon as they hit Black Rock, they wouldn't roll. They got in that deep water. And they and stopped. They'd stop.
0: I saw that twice in my life once, once here in Homosassa. And like you said, like a, like a, almost like a tsunami. Oh, the, the water level was two feet higher. Rise. And you'd see all of a sudden these bodies and explosions.
2: Like a submarine yeah.
0: underwater. And all of a sudden, everybody had a fish on, all around us. We had maybe 15 boats in a fairly large circumference and fish were flying everywhere. And we'd see them in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, down off of, uh, you know, backside of the Everglades. I get out there, you know, and on a a very calm February day or early March, you just got and just kind of run and stop your boat and look. And you look for the bust, And then all of a sudden, you would have a wave of fish coming in. Did that happen like a lot
2: in Homosassa? A lot. Nearly days every morning coming in from offshore. But... That's quit. You don't see that anymore.
1: And the crabs left because of the water quality? (sighs) Overfishing?
2: Overfishing. There'd be tons of traps up there. You couldn't even... You'd have to watch with a fish on that thing.
0: I heard that the salinity got too high and the lack of fresh water.
2: When I first started up there, on an incoming tide, the wiki-wachi's flow... (laughs) was like going through that little cut in between in Marathon, that little channel that runs through the road. Oh, yeah, vaca cut. Or vaca cut. It was like that. You could hardly control the boat. The current was coming out. Now, outgoing, incoming. No current. No current at all. No water. So I called Swift Mud and asked them if they could do some research, and she gave me this lady, and she looked it up. That river's only pumping a quarter of what it did in the '70s, so the aquifer's going down. The force of the river, so it's got to do something. You used to be able to smell the fresh water up there, right? Like it rained when you were little. Sure. You don't smell any of that. Lack of fresh water. Right.
0: Lack of food. I remember Evans used to just hate Boca Grande, thinking that all the sharks were eating their fish.
2: Now. No, it's it's obvious.
0: It's a lack of of habitat. Right. They still catch big fish up in Apalachicola. Yeah. For sure. Not nearly the numbers like Homosassa. But all the
2: fish that were caught and that were tagged in Homosassa, Wachi, that area up there, all were tagged in Boca Grande. Right. So do they come straight up the coast or do they go way out and then come in? Because now Al was telling me a couple weeks ago him and Brian were fishing offshore in 80 foot of water. And it was solid tarpon out
0: there. Recently? Yeah, a couple weeks ago. No kidding.
2: Solid. Now why? Are we running them? Are all the boat traffic and people running them offshore? Yeah,
0: because this time of year, obviously the Keys only has some resident fish. Right. Do you guys have resident fish up here? Oh yeah, that that are pretty Res, plentiful. Resident, I'm, fish. A, I'm talking about adult fish. Yeah, you probably do. Yeah, we do. Probably everybody has yeah. resident fish. Russ,
2: Russ Shirley had one, had a customer, and they were pulling along the Skyway Bridge, and he saw one doing the Red Tide Gulp. <laughs> the Red Tide Gulp. <laughs> yeah, that's what we call it when they come out. And you ever seen one do that? And they and, breach. Yeah, but they don't go into this bit. They just come up and take a big gulp of air and go back down. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've yeah, seen yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I've seen redfish do it. I've seen trout do it. But he got pulled his customer around when they were throwing at it. And they said they got about 10 feet away, and this thing goes three times, jumps in his boat. and It was about 140 pounds. Oh, oh my God. From,
1: oh, I saw that photo. Yeah. I saw all that. his rods. Scales but, and blood everywhere. Yeah.
0: It was unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. That brings a, a a memory of mine that only happened one time. I was fishing with maybe Tommy Locke or, or uh, Eddie Walker up there, and we had this group of fish coming, and I made this cast, and obviously it was too long because right when the fly was about to hit the water the tarpon rolled and the fly hit him right on the top of the nose right here Uh right between the eyes and it it just like electrocuted this fish he just (laughs) and the explosion was unreal just went nuts unreal we just looked at each other started laughing i
2: had one i threw out lead fish was coming i threw out it was about seven seven eight nine inches off the water and he ate it like a dry fly
0: Ate the fly midair.
2: and came out and ate it in the air. And I was fishing with Jimmy Weber. I said, did I see that right? He goes, I can't believe it. And yeah, they got good eyesight. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. What? Um, anything you'd like to
0: say at the end of this podcast as we reflect about the good old days of Homosassa?
2: Nope. Do it as long as you can.
0: Because it doesn't last forever.
2: You haven't got that many sunsets left. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, Al. Yeah. It's been too long. And like I said, it's, this is so much fun hooking up with people I haven't seen in a long time, yeah. talking about the things that we love so much. Yeah,
2: I hadn't seen Norman Duncan since he was at the house, and that was built in 73. Wow. 74, and now I saw him on your podcast, and then right. he called me when Gary Marconi died. Yeah, but it's it's strange, yeah. Long time. Well. We're well, all getting old.
1: Dan, thanks so much. It was great to meet you.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. You're a good man. Thanks. Guido. (laughs) If you're interested in the full Home assassin story, pick up Monty Burke's book, Lords of the Fly. You'll learn of the entire tarpon story and the men who chased them. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.